welcome everybody. Uh, and if you are joining us for the first time uh, tonight, want to say a special welcome to you again. We're delighted to have you with us. Now you might be caught off guard by that movie clip a little bit tonight. We're going to get into that here in just a minute. But just do me a favor here tonight. Turn the person next to you and say, she was not happy. All right. Yeah, uh, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting start to the film. And what you're seeing there is actually uh, the opening scene to the film Lady Bird, uh, which is part of our series that we're diving into that we're kicking off uh, here tonight as we uh, are moving beyond now the celebration of Easter and Holy Week and, and all the things that is entailed as we celebrate the power of the resurrection, the fact that God is surely still alive, that he's on the move, that his Holy Spirit is uh, continuing uh, to change lives and to to retell and rewrite people's stories for the better as his kingdom uh, shows up. And so as we celebrate, as we move in, into the next phase of our life together as a church, uh, we're excited about this new sermon series. It's called Faith on Film, and, and I'm excited about it for a couple reasons. One is uh, we're, we're digging into these stories, the kind of films that show up uh, and speak to us as a culture right now. And, and what way we're describing is that it's a five-week sermon series exploring the intersection of Christianity uh, and cinema. And here's why that's exciting to me. Because I think it's the movies that, that we love. It's the movies that we make as a culture. It's, it's the stories that we're willing to go and pay and see and, and hear and allow to be told to us. They, they say something about us. And even more than that, I'm convinced movies are a fantastic way, just as Jesus used uh, in his very own ministry with parables. They're an incredible way to slip truth past our defenses. You see, sometimes, right, we need to hear something and it's not the easiest to hear. And so God, in his wisdom... Uh, in, through Jesus and in, in, in our modern day context. I think he uses the, the means that he has around us to speak to us and to teach us. And so movies, like comedians, like parables in Jesus' day, they're, they're a fantastic way for God to package up truth for us, to, to deliver it on our doorstep despite our best defenses sometimes. And this movie that we're going to dig into here tonight, this movie Lady Bird, uh, is no exception. And, and just to clear up any confusion about this tonight as, as we dig in, I'm not talking about President Johnson's wife, okay? Somebody told me that was her nickname was Lady Bird Johnson. We're not talking about her tonight. No, we're talking about the, the women that you just saw. We're talking about 17-year-old Christine McPherson. Now, I, I have watched this movie a couple times, gotten to know it, and if you were to describe her personality, Pistol, right? Firecracker doesn't even begin to describe this. Clearly, uh, she's, she's passionate about her life and she's trying to figure out who she is, trying to work out all kinds of details. But, but she's 17 years old. She's a resident in Sacramento, California. Uh, she's a senior in Immaculate Heart Catholic Girls School. And as you can tell, if you couldn't tell in that short scene of them riding in a car on a college uh, visit trip, Right? She is the bane of her mother's existence. And as you look at that conversation, you see the dynamics, and they'll begin to unfold as we look at a few more scenes from the film. Right? It really is a two-way street. There's something in this relationship that's not right, and there's something that's in need of repair. In fact, as you dig into it and you begin to see, there's something that's in need of healing. But that scene, it's jarring, right? I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about bailing out of a car because you couldn't stand the person you're riding with. Uh, but she does, and she ends up breaking her arm as an act of defiance. And all of this points and sets the tone for this film uh, that really conveys a pretty profound truth. And it's one I think all of us in this room probably already know, but I'll say it anyway. And it's this reality that love is hard. Love is hard, especially when it's real love, because real love isn't just a feeling. It's not just something on a Hallmark card, but it's something that requires something from us. 
And here's the other reason why love is hard, because whenever you get two or more, Jesus said something like this, right? Whenever two or more people are gathered, right, there will be conflict. Isn't that what he said? No, no, no. He said, wherever two or more gather in my name, there I will be also. But the reality is, you get a couple human beings together, it's not a question of if, right? But it's a question of when. Someone's going to step on someone else's toes when there's going to be some sort of a challenge. And the reality is for all of us that this makes love hard, You don't need a pastor to stand up here and tell you this tonight. We all know this fact, but I want to bring it up tonight because if we want to dig in to this film and to the message, the message I think God has for us through uh, as we dig into this and see what what kind of themes it draws up and what God has to say to us through his word tonight, it's a fantastic place to start. The reality is that love is hard and we see this all over the place, right? I feel like I see this every day. Right? Just think about the last challenge that you had with somebody. It shows up maybe in the workplace. Maybe it's your next door neighbor and they drive you crazy, right? I was sitting at my dinner table last night with my family and I just decided to do a little experiment. I just thought, I'm just going to sit here. Dinner's all ready. I'm just going to sit at the table ready to go and I'm going to see how long it takes for the rest of the family to come join me at the dinner table and we're not going to start the civil conversation and have a nice family meal together until every single person, all six of us are around the table, right? And you might be thinking, oh yeah, I bet you had to wait a couple minutes. Do you know how many minutes I had to wait last night for this to happen? It was like 13 minutes. It was, a, it was an exercise in challenge, right? And this is, it's a silly example. Of course, there are much deeper things. But there are challenges across the board. 13 years of marriage, I've figured out the best buttons to push, right? To drive my wife crazy. This is what we do as, as human beings. If you want to talk about the idea that love is hard, you should just pull aside one of our parking lot attendants that were here last weekend during Easter, right? When the crowds are trying to get their way in here. I had a few of them come in and I, they needed some pastoral care uh, because of the looks and the comments. And you should, I was standing right in the hallway as people had to leave this room because it was full for services and they had to go to overflow, right? I mean, people were not happy. And all of us have moments like this in our life and we have all of these challenges and, and people can drive us crazy. Love can drive us crazy because it's hard. And so when it does get hard, what do we do? Right? What do we do with the people that are hard to love? And the temptation is there for all of us. As Christine uh, exercised in, uh, in that opening clip of the film. All of us at one point or another, right? When we're in a relationship with another person, we're tempted to want to do something to bail out. When love gets hard, it's so easy to want to get away. Just one small problem with that. For us as Christ followers. Matthew 22 has something to say about this. In fact, yeah, we'll put the words up here on the screen, right? Uh, This is, somebody asked Jesus, you know, what is the greatest commandment? If I'm going to take the whole Bible and boil it down into just an idea or a commandment, right? What is the greatest commandment, they ask him. They're trying to trap him. And of course, he's got an incredible answer. Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Right? And then he, he says this, the first, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says this. He says the second one is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. As hard as it is to experience love and to love other people sometimes, this is our commandment. This is what it means for us as Christ followers. This whole love your neighbor as yourself thing, it's a big deal. It's not just an option. It's not just a suggestion. It's, it's part of the way that God has designed us. In fact, I think it's a credible, an incredible gift that he's given us his command. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
right? It's so easy to read those words on the screen, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, and yet it's so much easier said than done. So what do we do? If we don't bail out, if we decide to show up and to love people, then what is, what is it we're supposed to do with the people who are hard to love? And this is the journey that Lady Bird takes us on. It's what it digs into. It begins to wrestle with and to answer this question. And as the film takes you on this journey, as you begin to dig deeper, you begin to understand there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of layers to these characters. They got a lot of life coming at them, and they're not always handling it the best way. And so as you begin to see this tension, again, in this mother-daughter relationship where you've got this, this daughter who's even chosen a new name for herself. That's how desperately she's searching for her identity, for who she is, right? For the independence, for the freedom. And her mom, it's clear that things are a total mess in their house. And they're a mess because there are so many factors at play here. They're both allowing their circumstances They're allowing the circumstances of life that they're in to begin to shape them. It's hard to live. It's hard to experience. But the reality is, right, when we begin to get caught up in these circumstances, and mom's very clearly, she's she's wrapped up in the fear. She's wrapped up in the challenges that life has thrown her. And as she begins to realize this, she comes to this point in her life where she's really challenged to, to wrestle with what is it that she's putting her trust in? Right? And this is a reality that all of us have to come to at some point. Life begins to throw us curveballs. Where, at the end of the day, where is it that we're going to put our trust? And, and depending upon how we answer that question, there are consequences. And if we're going to trust in ourselves, well, that's going to lead to disappointment. It's going to lead to a lack of control. It's going to, it's going to lead to fear. Because at the end of the day, we have limits. And we know this and we understand this. And, and fear, it's, it's captivating. It's arresting, and what it does is it begins to control us. And, and here's the problem with fear is it begins to show up in, in Marion, uh, Ladybird's mom's life, as it begins uh, to work its way into their household and even into their relationship, is that it gets in the way of love, right? It, it has the power to refocus us and to, and to put us into a different frame of mind where we begin to have different priorities. I mean, fear can turn us into monsters, and, and it steals our joy. It reminds us that we're not in control. And as control slips away, it's the thing that we clamor for more than anything. And so what happens in this relationship, and, and, and this movie is hard to watch. I mean, it's, it's rated R, and, and I, it's not safe for the whole family. And, and I've even had a few people say, why are, why are we talking about this, this movie at church? Well, because I think it's real. Because it's honest and, and thousands of, I mean, millions of people have gone to see this film. I mean, it's one of the highest, uh, most highly rated films on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it set records, nominated for dozens of awards. And I think part of it is because we can relate to this, right? We can relate to the challenge of being in relationships with people and struggling with fear and, and just wondering what to do and just, just being angry and being hurt and trying to, to work our way through it. We can relate to what's missing in this relationship and, that, and that's grace, What's missing in this relationship is love. And it's all coming out of fear and and the idea that she's trusting in herself. And when we do that, the consequences can be devastating. In fact, it's fear that's destroying the relationship. Fear has this incredible potential to to have power over us. And and we can give it up so easily. Fear has the power to get us to say things and to do things that we never imagined that we could. And it's not just ripping your daughter to shreds as you squash her dreams. But this even, this shows up in scripture. 
This shows up all over the place. I was looking at Exodus recently and this jumped out at me like no other. I mean, uh, if you're not familiar with the story of Exodus, God's people had been in slavery for centuries and God heard their cries. Just as he hears our cries and our prayers today. And he comes and he rescues those people through Moses. He sends a leader in Moses to, to redeem his people, to rescue, to lead them out of Egypt. And, they, and it works. God sets them free. And, and so these Israelites are walking in the desert and they're experiencing freedom for the first time in a long time. Right? They're, they're finding their new identity as a people. And, and somewhere along the way, Pharaoh, the, the leader in Egypt, is he realizes, I just lost all my help. He decides to send his, he's like, what have I done? And he sends his army back after these people. And as they're out in the desert and as they begin uh, to turn around, they see the Egyptian army coming after them. You have to read their reaction. Because I think it says something about the power that fear has over us. They've just been liberated. Look how they respond when trouble begins to happen. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians. Exodus chapter 14. They cried out to the Lord and they said, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? Right? He was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread about five minutes ago. And they've completely turned on him. Why did you make us leave Egypt? They said. And then they, they dropped this insane statement. Because this is what fear does to us. They said, let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt rather than a corpse in the wilderness. It's madness. It's madness. They've completely forgotten who they are and where they have come from. They thought that they'd found freedom, and now they're beginning to realize they have a new master. They're captive to something else, and it's the same master that's captivating people inside the McPherson household. The most heartbreaking scene of this whole movie to me, it, it comes a little bit later on when they're, she's trying on prom dresses, and they're in the dressing room that's in the, uh, in the slide that I've got here. And they're having this conversation and, and they're trying on the dresses and, and mom is just struggling to, to say positive, right? To stay positive, to, to avoid this critical spirit, the critical comments. And so she tries on the dress and, and the mom does so good. She holds it for so long and then she says, uh, is it a little too pink? And this upsets Lady Bird and she turns around and she goes in the dressing room to start changing her outfit again. And she asks this question, you can hear it come from out of the dressing room. She says, mom, do you even like me? And of course, the mom steps back for a second. She says, well, of course, of course, honey, of course, I love you. And Lady Bird turns around and says to her, no, no, that's not the question I asked. It's not, do, I, do you love me? I asked, do you even like me? And so her mom pauses for a moment to begin to take this in and to process this. And she says, you know, I just, I guess I just want you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And Lady Bird walks out and makes eye contact with her in the way that only a daughter can to a mom. And she drops this bomb and she says, but what if this is the best version of me? Can you hear it in that conversation, right? There's this cry for her to be loved, for be accepted, to be loved unconditionally. Not, not to earn our approval. And we, we wrestle with this as well. But this is what fear does to love. It creates this agenda, Right? It adds strings, it adds conditions to, to this acceptance to be in this kind of relationship. And this happens all the time to us. We challenge things and we make things more complicated than they ever designed to be because we're just trying to figure out how to survive. And so what about you tonight? When you think about your relationships, when you think about the things that you're afraid of, the things that challenge you to figure out where are you going to put your trust, what comes to mind? It's an important question 
Because fear has the, the ability to destroy the relationships that we're in. Jesus must have known as human beings that we were going to struggle with this. He must have known that we would need a new way to live. I mean, I think that's why he sent Jesus. But not only that, it's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus decides that it's time to have this conversation with us once and for all. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says he's been laying out all of these different teachings about this new way to live, this new way to be human. He comes to his disciples and he says, do not worry about your life. And he starts telling stories about the birds and about the flowers of the air. And he says, are you not much more valuable than them? God, your Father in heaven is willing to take care of the flowers who are here today and gone tomorrow. Right? The birds of the air, they don't, they don't have to do any work to feed themselves. God provides for them. And so he offers this to them as well. He says, seek first the kingdom. In other words, seek your Father's love. This has the power to eradicate the fear in your life. And just like we heard read earlier tonight, 1 John begins to talk about the power of this love, about God's amazing love for us as well. Such love has no fear, First John says. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. He says if we're afraid for fear of punishment, it shows that we haven't totally experienced God's love. And it's not about getting to heaven or not at this point. I mean, God's love is so deep and it's so wide. We're never going to be able to fully experience and fully understand and fully apply it to our lives. But this is the reality of what it means to have God in our lives, that his love is perfect. And this perfect love, it casts all, all fear. It's, it's why he connects and why in John chapter 15, he goes on to say, remain in my love. Live in it, breathe in it, swim in it day in and day out because it has the power to change your life. And he goes on to say to his disciples, this is my commandment, right? That you would love one another. As I have loved you. I mean, if you experience this kind of challenge in relationships, if, if, you've, if you've seen people go a different direction and you want to and you're trying to figure out what can I do to win them back, right? What can we do to bring peace? Jesus has the answer. It's right here in John chapter 15. He says, love each other. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. We're back to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's so easy to see this as a burden that's put on us. But in reality, it's an incredible gift, it's like the key that unlocks the best in us. It's the key that unleashes our potential, that redeems us, that has the potential to turn our lives around and, and to reorient them in the best possible way. It's if Jesus is saying in his Gospels, stay with me here, love, let me love you so you can turn around and love this world. The only way that you're going to make it is if you allow my love to fill you up to overflowing from there. That is what you can do. Let me take your fear. Let me take the challenges that you're up against. Let me handle those. And go out and love one another as I have loved you, which is comforting and daunting all at the same time. And it begs the question, how has God loved us? And one of the best pictures that I can think of the way that God has loved us, obviously it's in him sending Jesus, but I love Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is this picture, it's David, he's going off about the love that his father has for him. And I don't know if you've ever read this or not, but I love to go through Psalms every once in a while and just underline the verbs. Listen to a, little, a few verses of Psalm 103 and, and tell me what kind of father figure you have in God? What kind of love is he offering? Is it the kind of love that Lady Bird's mom shows up with all the time with its expectations and it's, it's already conveying the fact that she's failed and it's asking so much of her? Or is it the kind of love that has the power to, to cast out all fear, to, to change her direction? 
This is what says Psalm 103, let all that I am praise the Lord. Why do we sing songs around here? Because it's, it's, we have a need and a desire to praise God. May I never forget the things that he's done for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things, David says. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He will not constantly accuse us, David goes on to say, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us as our sins deserve, does not deal harshly with us. Instead, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord's like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. Compassion, mercy, right? Are these the words that describe God's love towards you? Are these the words that describe you as you love the people around us? The reality is our life and our experiences, they can be deeply shaped by the people around us, right? By our parents, by our our friends, the people that we're in relationships with. And this can have a profoundly positive effect. It can have a damaging effect based on, on whatever it is that you've experienced. And I've, I've had all the above. I'm sure all of us have had the people in our life that loved us well and the people that have been an incredible challenge. But I was thinking about this week and I was thinking about where have I experienced growing and compassionate love and I thought about this. I thought about this picture. I thought about my dad and, and his dream uh, as a high school student way back in 1966 was to own a yellow I don't know why it had to be yellow. He's not even a Hawkeye fan, but he had to have a yellow Mustang convertible. And so when he turned 60 years old, 66 was the year he graduated high school and this was his dream. When he turned 60 years old for the first time in his life, I'm pretty sure he decided to spend money on himself extravagantly and buy this incredible gift. And this thing was awesome. I know because when he showed up with the keys to this thing on a Friday night, only less than a week after he'd bought this thing and he said, go have fun, I was shocked. Right? He gave this teenage son, Andy Hermanson, the gift of being able to take this thing out and drive it around. My brother jumped in the seat. I don't even think he had time to think twice because we were off in this thing. We drove everywhere. We ran this thing as hard as it would go. We did the burnouts and we kind of got a little crazy. I even drove through my hometown, Story City, Iowa, that had the, the office buildings on both sides of Main Street. And I revved it up so you could hear the exhaust cackling off the buildings. I mean, it was the most beautiful thing ever. We had a fantastic night with this thing. Until we pulled it in the garage that night, and I'm like, is that, is that antifreeze? Is that smoke that I smell? So we're looking around the car. We're like, okay, the outside's okay. We pop the hood, and the steam comes out. And I look at the engine, and it, it, the paint on the engine, it was immaculate when my dad gave it to us. We open it up in the garage, and we begin to see the engine has changed colors, basically, because all the antifreeze has ruined the paint on the inside of this engine. I looked at my brother, and we had the exact same thoughts. We stared at each other. We're, we're dead. And so we walk in the house, and of course my dad is still waiting up for us. We walk in the house, and we tiptoe, and eventually he hears us. And he said, how was your night? And we said, Dad, we're okay, but, right? Those are how all the great father child conversations begin. We're okay, but I got to tell you about the car. And as we're looking at this, what I'm expecting is this punishment. And instead, what we get is this grace, this powerful grace. What we got was love. He was frustrated, of course, but did he 
Did he take it out on us? Did he punish us? No. And this is love. This is what Psalm 103 love looks like. This is the same love that's offered to you and I as it makes its way to earth in Jesus. 1 John 3.16 talks about this. Now, this is, this is what real love is. This is how we know what real love is. Because Jesus gave his life up for us. It's the kind of love that you don't believe it until it shows up. Ladybird found that out. She decided to play a prank with one of this girl she was trying to impress at Catholic school. She got the brilliant idea to go to the nun, the head nun's car and decorate it and say, just married to Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. And as she does, does this, she gets caught. And she's called into the head nun's office. What she expects is to be punished. But she finds something surprising in return. She walks into that room expecting to be punished, right? Expecting to be held to account for what she's done. Instead, what she gets is a lesson in love, not just from the Bible, right? Not just from some teacher teaching, but in practical, real-world experience. And she begins to realize that love and attention, they are the same thing. It's the same thing that God shares with us, right? We tend to pay attention to the things that we care about the most. And I think as she begins to understand what's going on here and has these experiences at this Catholic school, I think, I think God's beginning to plant seeds in her life. But I also think she's beginning to understand the world that she lives in and she's beginning to see where her mom comes from. Jesus shows attention to us. It's why he came. It's why he came to rescue us. And this love, it has the potential to change everything, to turn our world upside down, to begin to give us new lenses to look at our struggles and the challenges through. This love has the power to take the captivity that we experience, the slavery that we experience to fear, and it begins to set us free to it. And so as these, their journey, as their story continues, it doesn't get much easier, but these seeds are being planted. As Ladyburg eventually makes her way to New York, as she lives out her dream, she gets accepted to a college. One small challenge with it, she never tells her mom that she's even applied because she doesn't want to make her angry. But what she's beginning to realize is she's beginning to move to be the kind of person who, who puts her trust into something else. She decides to put her trust in love, not just in herself, but in love, as First John talks about. And this is what love does to us. It begins to transform us in the people that, that can stand up and can say, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. And so she's dropped off at the airport. Her mom is furious with her. Still struggling, still wrestling. But as she's dropped off and her mom drives away, she begins to realize, what am I doing? And she turns around and drives to the airport, although Ladybird is already gone. She's missed this opportunity to love. As Ladybird ends up in New York, and as she begins to live her life, she gets a reality check as well. Things don't go according to plan. She makes some foolish decisions, and she finds herself in the hospital. She finds herself surrounded by people she doesn't know, and she's not sure if anyone even cares about her. And so as the movie comes to an end, she finds herself wandering the streets of New York City, and she's beginning to look and beginning to ask this bigger question, is my dream, who am I? What, what is this all about? What does it mean? What, is, what does God even have to say to me? As she's walking through the streets of New York asking all of these questions, hope finds her. And it finds her in a familiar and yet a new and exciting way. 
No plans to go to church that day. No plans to end up lost and alone in New York City. And yet, here she is. She hears a familiar sound. And I've got to believe that the, the seeds that were planted through her relationships with the people that she knew that were married to Jesus for quite a long time began to grow within her and she begins to identify that there's hope in this beginning. And as she begins to look at this and begins to experience this love, the love of God, she begins to experience this reality that there is no place like home, right? Whether that's home as in Sacramento, California, or if it's home as in relationship with the God that has created her, she begins to wake up this reality. The love isn't done with her yet. First John talks about the fact that as we live in God, we are invited to grow in his love as well. This is the byproduct of what happens. And so as this happens, she begins to realize that we don't have to be slaves to fear. There's this reality and we have this Father in heaven who loves us and we are given the opportunity to be loved, to experience his perfect love that casts out all fear for us. If you're here and you're good tonight, how many people are we surrounded with that are wrestling with those things, though? And what does it look like for us to be the kind of people who can take this Psalm 103 love that God has for us and reach out and share that with the world around us as well? Now receive this blessing. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, may he strengthen you, may he keep you in his grace, and may he give you everything that you need to live this life for him without fear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.